This is a CW Spiral, a podcast run by two Barchies and a Bughead. We're your hosts, Sabrina Reed, Michael Patterson, and Reed Gowden, bringing you history about the network, the latest news, and in-depth spoiler-filled discussions of some of our favorite shows on the CW. Um, so it's funny about this episode is its title because Michael said something in our group chat that had both me and Reed like laughing, which is that CW has become the internet explorer of TV networks. And it's so accurate. <laughs> so Michael, explain what you meant. I mean, where's the lie? I I I stood by it then. I stand by it now. Um, But like, it's maybe it's a little early to say it's renewal and cancellation period, but we're getting news from all of the networks. Um, Fox is having its 911 discussions that it has every year. CBS has got its whole slate ready practically at this point in time. And the CW has no pilots in development that are like physically manifested in development other than the, oh yeah, we're still working on that. And there's no renewals and cancellations outside of the early All-American renewal, which sounds like it came as a package deal with the wholesale of the network. So... I know maybe you can say, oh, Superman at Lois just started or oh, Gotham Knights just started. But they're the only two on like a slate that we've had like shows running for ages. Most of them are final seasons. All the ones were canceled early on. We have no idea what the CW slate's going to look like. And this is a network notorious for renewing stuff early. And I know it's a different leadership and whatever, but their early renewals were late last year. And we're already past that frame of time. It's May and a month from now, and we still don't know anything about what the slate's going to look like and whether they do physical in-person upfronts. There's going to be some kind of upfronts to announce what the schedule looks like, whatever, when and when the fall starts. And we have none of that. So that was a very roundabout way of saying the CW's gotten very <laughs> slow these days. Wouldn't you agree? <laughs> yes, there are no updates. No, yeah, no software upgrade. <laughs> 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 it's just funny too because it's not like it's not like they couldn't just give us news i mean there are plenty of shows that have finished right like we are still waiting on news on winchesters and walker independence walker independence might be tied up with with walker finishing and i don't remember when the walker finale is even going to be um but kung fu also finished so it's like can you give us a little piece of news can you give us one update like i mean we i'd know rather know, know. Mm-hmm. they know exactly <laughs> <laughs> we know it's on the books <laughs> so like, just tell us because i want to know what the like we know for the 2023-2024 television season there's all american that's it all american Monday, <laughs> eight o'clock slot that's it. <laughs> yeah the cw just keeps hitting snooze on us and i'm like you gotta wake up the alarm at some point like you can't be running to you can't be the college student that's running to the to, to the um, cafeteria in your pajamas. Like, no, 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 no. You need something. <laughs> and like, Homecoming just finished as well. And obviously we don't expect news about that immediately. But like, the list of shows that have ended their current runs and there's still no decision on them is getting bigger by the day. And some clarity would be nice. We've said this whole last year has been full of like, uh, smoke and mirrors and oh you'll find that out when and then keeping us holding on only to get the bad news anyway when we could have just had it right out of the gate give us some good news give us the bad news that we're going to get as well just some clarity would be nice because like it's pretty pretty weird not to know what the schedule any part of the schedule is going to look like apart from all american mondays i've seen this phrase going around social media where people are talking about like significant others and they say like if he wanted to he would meaning like that if you know your man wanted to step up he would do it because he can and we know that the networks can mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
they can renew whenever they want. We just saw Netflix do it with the night agent. <laughs> well, there's tons of other shows that they they wait a few months on. But they did it in six, not even six days. Was it six days? I don't know. But like if they wanted to, they would. They can. That's a, a good thing to remember is like it's possible to renew mm-hmm. a show literally at any point, at any time. <laughs> <laughs> Or cancel it too. Us. Yeah. True, but like treat us. I don't know. Give mm-hmm. us something. Let us let us know what we're doing. We're out here blind, like just wondering right. about the schedules. <laughs> I mean, like the only thing, the only news we got, and this isn't even from CW, it's like HBO Max and Netflix news about like when the CW shows are hitting the platforms in April. So like we do know Walker Independence is going to HBO Max on April 1st. April 6th is when the Winchesters lands and April 7th is when Kung Fu comes to HBO Max. And then April 11th is when All-American Homecoming comes to Netflix. So like there's going to be a smorgasbord of CW content available on streaming. Maybe tell us what's going to happen with these shows in April. Mm. Yeah, all four of them are ones that we could do with decisions on, so it would be nice to hear more about them. Oh, fingers crossed, manifesting. Be a proper, I don't know what, significant other. <laughs> <laughs> Become Google Chrome. <laughs> yes, evolve. <laughs> uh, but moving into what we're watching, speaking of like evolutions, I feel like Superman and Lois season three is already like, it's hard to say that Superman Lois is surpassing itself, but it kind of like really is. Um, episode three was fantastic and tension filled. And they like hit us in the gut within the first three minutes of what, like the recap, um, like what you missed was hurtful. And then we went right into Clark's nightmare. Can I just say, I have, this is the first episode that I've watched live on the night because I had screeners. Um, and when I saw my previously on, I was like, I got it because I don't wasn't it me that was complaining about it last season because I was mm-hmm. like there's so many hiatuses and they just throw us right in I'm like I need I need to be led into this <laughs> <laughs> so I know you guys watched it both live did they have the previously ons for the premiere in episode two I uh, episode two that... maybe I don't know about the premiere because they montaged either way I'm taking it as a win. I fought for what I needed and what I wanted, and it worked. <laughs> <laughs> and there wasn't even any hiatus this time. You didn't need it, but you got it. <laughs> I like. I don't know if they're going to do this every episode. I hope they do, but I was like, oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> they let us ride the hand right into that, and like... <laughs> What an episode! I think uh, if if you when we cut out the reviews of every single one of Superman and Us, you you'll find me in those first five seconds saying what an episode. But this show just does not stop, and I think that's one of the most packed episodes we've ever had. But like just to pick up where we left off from last week, and then I I did mention last week that they try not to reveal the same information more than once. So in order to catch the viewer up, they did that beautiful montage where Lois uh, revealed her diagnosis to. A different person and each line of dialogue was to a different person so you saw her telling lana and kyle and uh, sarah you saw her telling her dad you saw her telling lucy on the phone which was a nice little call back to last season as well um but like considering we only got like a scene or a line of dialogue per each of those scenes every one of them was so hard-hitting and like yeah it just set you up for an emotional roller coaster of an episode and my goodness sam lane's face that kind of broke me in the opening moments that yeah, oh yeah. That was, what although a i was 
Although I was kind of frustrated with him later on in the episode when he mm-hmm. kept blaming Clark. And I'm like, Clark can only do so much, Sam. <laughs> but Clark was just taking it because that's so relatable. Like when your father-in-law is yelling at you, you're just like, I'm not going to fight back. <laughs> <laughs> and they have like two different personalities too. Sam's like, force her to go to, to the chemo sessions. And Clark's like, I, I want to have a conversation first. Can we just, can we unpack the yeah. things? And I loved the like opening with Clark's nightmare I feel like was so impactful because like he's trying to save her he's trying to get to her and he can't find her he can't get to her he can't save her and it was just like oh packed a huge punch just right in your heart mm-hmm. like just put the arrow right in there it's yeah. screaming like the the one with her like Lois screaming for Clark every time she did it my heart hurt I because know. Like, please find her <laughs> she is just screaming for her life right now she needs you yeah, I have a bone to pick with the CW for putting that in all the trailers and making it feel like it was actually a real scene and then we find out it was a nightmare sequence. Oh, yeah, like, when the thing was falling on her. Yeah, yeah, and the Daily Planet logo. And all you saw was the scene of her reaching for him and him flying towards her. And we got that many, many times throughout that episode as Clark kept going through that in his head. And it did that first opening scene was so effective because they were in each other's eyesight for so long, but they just kept focusing on him, focusing on her. And it was like he was never going to reach her. And I think that was the whole point and that this might not be a situation he could save her from. And I think in the first nightmare, he just did just on time. But then when he had the second nightmare again, he never got to her in time. And I think that really highlighted as fair as, as how this journey goes on. He's probably going to feel more more helpless. And that kind of came across in the episode because he offered to be there for her, but then he had to be Superman. And then he said he was going to like supervisor, but then he, he couldn't because he had to be Superman. And then Sam got down on him. So I just thought a lot of the family conflict was tied in really, really well to the story. But before we move on from the nightmare, cinematic quality special mm-hmm. effects i tell you like that's not the kind of stuff you'd see on the cw um mm-hmm. superman movies have not had g- that good special effects um i love it when they treat us to moments like this because that wasn't like they could have had any kind of nightmare where lois felt helpless but my goodness they went all out in that one just to really like drive it home but yeah i feel like just the whole clark feeling helpless and then th- that played in really well to lois kind of avoiding her uh, chemo treatments so she could follow the story with Chrissy. I mean, like we said last week that you'd have to see how Lois tries to balance being a reporter with being a mom, with being a person suffering through an illness, trying to get better. And I think this episode really highlighted that, particularly because Lois was kind of avoiding it because she didn't want it to become real. And she teased that in her dialogue last week when she said she wasn't ready for everything to change. And yeah, it was a very effective use of like for using like an episodic story to tie into the overall arc really, really well. And I thought that was, it was very lowest thing to do. And yeah, I can't fault that from a character standpoint. It was really, really nice seeing her avoid that so that she could do the right thing in the end. It's interesting that you said episodic because this episode does feel very uh, effective as like a standalone a little bit. Mm -hmm. Like it's the story it tells at the forefront about Lois is like just so rich and well done and just a great singular hour of television. And I really loved the way that Bitsy played this whole story. There's mm-hmm. so much like vulnerability and innocence and so much that Lois wasn't uh, communicating, but mm-hmm. you could tell like Bitsy was had that in the back of her mind as she's like we're getting frustrated with Lois right like we're frustrated like girl you know what you need to do and you just keep pretending like you forgot but we know you're avoiding it and it's like a whole frustrating situation that I'm sure hits home for a lot of people but the way that she played it I can't even describe 
what she made me feel because it was just subtle and I don't know can you guys put it into words because I like the whole time I'm watching Bitsy I'm like how, how are you doing this <laughs> I would describe this as like a tea kettle episode right where um you start it's the water's boiling and as we get further into the episode it just starts screaming because it's ready like mm. I felt like for for Bitsy the way she performed it her snap moment is when um after all of the drama but like it's like you really start seeing the climax of that when she is by herself in the waiting room is that the second or third time and she has a whole moment where like she the sound just is different and what she's seeing is different and you can tell the stress is getting to her and she just escapes we just we just leave because mm -hmm. we um we, we can't we can't do this so by the time she gets to her explosion in the kitchen with Clark who good on him for elevating the voice just a bit I think anybody mm -hmm. else would have been screaming but he was like I'm just gonna raise it up just a notch because you scared me but she gets to still have the emotional weight of the scene and I like that that is that's because she's the one who does have to go do this so mm -hmm. um even though we all of us Clark the viewing audience is mm -hmm. like girl don't chemo right like the scene wasn't about Clark getting expressed how hugely upset he was he got to say it but he didn't get to have the emotional arc of the moment she did and I mm -hmm. loved the speech that she got in which she reminded him she's the one who's gonna have to go through all the treatments she's the one who might lose her hair she's the one who's fighting this thing he's observing her and it's upsetting and and, and that's awful but this is happening to her mm -hmm. um so I yeah. like that this episode kept it on this is Lois's fight like everybody else can feel how they feel but at the end of the day she's got to be the one on like in front mm. it was really nice that you did get to see all them differing perspectives on it because you're, you're right the whole episode we were kind of watching it like like we were Clark like we were Sam and just going Lois come on now yeah. and then when Bitsy <laughs> had that moment just like Clark did you completely saw her side of the argument but it was also equally effective in that like it made you understand where Clark was coming from and Sam where Sam was coming from and everyone trying to get Lois to uh, attend her treatment and Chrissy by the way loved the scenes between Lois and Chrissy and mm -hmm. Eugene you completely understood where they were coming from they weren't trying to take over because a lot of shows could have went then down that and like this is not your struggle it's my struggle and while we did get that in the Lois and Clark scene there was a balance there in that yet she understood why they were all forcing her to do it and stop avoiding it but also Clark completely understood why she was dragging her feet on the whole thing there was just an understanding that you don't see on TV so much and it was it didn't have to be said or spelled out for you it was just there in the way Tyler and Bitsy communicated that in that performance because Clark did come through all stern like as stern as Clark Kent can go he didn't go like Superman level stern but he was like he was stern it was like we we gotta be better than this we got you, you, time is running at you need to attend these treatments but at the same time Lois was like you don't think I know that it's just I thought you, you saw every side of the argument in that little scene because Clark was under pressure from everyone to look after and stop trusting her so much and that you're leaving her to do it and then she doesn't do it but at the same time Lois is under pressure because she knows that her life's going to change the minute she signs up to this and that she agrees to have her first treatment and that she could feel second week and she doesn't want that either so I just thought I, we we always said when Superman and Lois attempted a story like this that we we hoped we would see all sides of it that we hoped that like authentic writing that Superman and Lois does so well would benefit this story and we're seeing that already and just this was single episode that's why it's hard to like, I love how much they've managed to balance everything. For such a like jam-packed episode that was really tense on all angles, it did give you moments 
of levity and also moments of investigation. Like I love that like the counterweight to this was the teens on a mission together, trying to get back Jonathan's truck. And they were kind of doing regular teen things. Like we're at the diner and we're, we're hanging with our friends. And then here comes John's girlfriend and she doesn't know all the story about what happened last weekend. And all the friends, his brother and his, um, Natalie and Sarah like, uh, so you didn't tell her the truth. Like I felt very teen drama in a way that's fun. As in, mm-hmm. oh, how's this going to blow up in his face? Because it has to blow up in his face, right? Yeah, Michael always says that this show. Do you you reference? No, you reference Parenthood. Either way, um, <laughs> Friday Night Lights is yeah, something that's the that other I saw one. a lot in this episode. Like especially when I saw the scene of Sarah and Kyle in the back of that truck, I was like, "This is so Friday Night Lights coded." Like the the lighting, the the setup, the way the camera was like shaking a little bit. I was like, this, I've never seen a show that can do so many things well. Like it does mm-hmm. the family. It does like the teen. It's somehow it's also a superhero show. <laughs> it's like so accessible. And I think this episode, I, we're going to praise this episode up and down, but I, it does feel like this episode is like, it's settled into its identity so flawlessly. Mm-hmm. And it was never more apparent than this episode because, like you said, like the teens were doing their thing. We had intense, vulnerable, like uh, storytelling with Lois and Clark. Like the balance is astounding to me sometimes. Um, and I do. We need, do need to talk more about the teens, though, because Sarah, girl. <laughs> 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 wow i feel like this episode like reed just said it does balance everything so well like the uh the nightmare sequence was out of a superman movie the uh sarah and kyle scene was like something out of friday night nights but i like the way all the storylines kind of like they impacted each other yeah there there there's differing tones absolutely but like the um the stuff going on with lana and john henry irons about how they're kind they're very much acting out of character now but you can kind of by the end of the episode tie that back into after because of how they heard what lois was going through and it all explains their behavior and then you can see the tension continued to mount between um sarah and lana and even though Sarah was absolutely pushing Lana's buttons, it then it then got really, really far. And you were like, whoa, Lana, what did you do? I feel like everything. Both of them, I was like, what did you both just yeah, do? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and the funny thing is that when that scene started, there's something um about the actress who plays Sarah that is just like so comforting to me. Like she's so like good in this role. Mm-hmm. Like the way that she performs feels very much like, she's in like some 90s like teen show Mm -hmm. like she could be in felicity and i would have believed it like there's something she's so i really enjoy her as a performer sometimes me and sarah you know we beef a little bit and that's fine (laughs) um so when that scene started i was like oh i love this she's just like in the kitchen doing homework it feels so real and grounded and then the energy just kept stacking up in that scene to my gasp Mm -hmm. (laughs) like what Sarah said, out of pocket. With Lana, how Lana reacted, out of pocket. I was like, everybody needs to go have a time now <laughs> and cool off. Oh, and I felt it coming because of the way, like you said, traditionally things are set up, especially in the older teen dramas. As if she's she's at the kitchen and her mom's trying to talk to her as if this is not going to end well. The because, tea kettle. Yeah. <laughs> starting to whistle. <laughs> it was. She, like, I feel like one of the things that we've always had a problem with with Sarah is the inability to see where she stepped wrong. 
she believes mm -hmm. that she's so mature and she's coming from um, a point of view that she believes takes in all perspectives, but it doesn't. It takes only in her perspective. And in this one, and you could see it happening earlier in the episode when she was talking to Kyle, because she's like, I don't understand why I'm the one in trouble. I was like, girl, because every other teen in your group told their parent where they're going to be, or their parents are used to them hopping somewhere else and they'll be back home. That's not y'all, you're in Lana's relationship. It's never been you're in Lana's relationship. I don't know why we're confused as we're having lunch with dad. But like when she, she never wants to be taken to task. So like when, and I, one of the things I think is going to be interesting about this season is she's also never had to be a child of divorce before. This is like her first few jaunts into it. And so she doesn't understand why her mom doesn't want her to tell her dad what they've been up to in the house. It's like, because they're not married, girl. It's no longer her his business, what goes yeah. down in Lana's house. And I think also, not that Kyle would ever do anything to Lana. At least I don't think so. We'll see um, if he's possessed in any way at some point. But um, that she has to protect herself now because they're not together. So like, no, he can't know information about this house. No, he can't have the passcode. No, his place can't be on the security system. And no, he can't know what's going on in my dating life if it exists or it doesn't exist. And Sarah's like, you're being selfish. I don't understand. And uh, <laughs> and then the at the moment I knew she was about to get hit. And I was like, Lana, please subvert what usually happens during this moment was when she said, that's why dad cheated on you. And mm -hmm. I was like, and here comes the slap. <laughs> <laughs> The, the tension, uh, it, it beautifully, like you said, the cattle whistle moment. But like, it, I have to just appreciate just how the tension boiled over throughout the episode for all of the characters, mm -hmm. but specifically Lana, because like Sarah, Sarah should not be sharing personal information with Kyle now. And I completely understand that. But when you go back and watch the scene, she didn't actually say anything other than John Henry Irons installed the uh, security footage. And Lana's probably reading into that a little bit much. So she may perhaps overreact it. And it's the same way that... Uh, Kyle was clearly fishing for information. Like that man is not subtle in the slightest, but Nana would usually think about things before reacting and she reacted all of a sudden. You could clearly see, I think, I don't know whether it was what she learned about Lois, but you could clear, they're definitely going somewhere with this. Lana had a very bad day. That woman is stressed out and she did not need that argument in the kitchen at the end of the night. But like, especially now the fact that at the end of the episode, she was talking to Sarah through that door. And I think we all clocked that that woman was not behind that door. And, 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 <laughs> she was confirmed not in the room, right? Yeah, yeah because she went to Kyle in the diner. Yeah, I kind of appreciated that it wasn't like, it was just implied, but I was waiting for Lana to open the door. Because <laughs> as soon as I saw her leaning on that door, I was like, well, she's not there, Lana. Yeah. She's no. not there. <laughs> uh, that conversation's not going to go well with Kyle either. And it shouldn't like like I, I kind of <laughs> I kind of love this direction though like I kind of I want like a Sarah detour arc where she's not really dealing yeah. with um what's his name Jordan <laughs> <laughs> um but like I love when these teen dramas always send like the usually like good girl archetype and she goes down like a you know a crooked little path and maybe she hangs out with the wrong people and makes wrong choices. And, like, I can totally see her moving in with dad now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, you know, dad's dad. He's not Lana. <laughs> so <laughs> maybe she can get away with more and steamroll him. Um, but I'm I'm excited to see where this goes with her. Because, I, I mean, I've been lobbying for Sarah to do something else. Mm -hmm. And it is interesting because she spent a lot of time with Kyle in this back half of season two. And that's when she, that kind of encouraged her singing dream. And then 
of course, the alternate Kryptonians or the doppelgangers from the bizarro Earth turned up and it all went to hell. So it does it does make you wonder where it'll go because it feels like they're trying kind of going back to some of the season two dynamics now. So that's why I'm intrigued to see where specifically going with Lana. Is like, is this woman going to be running the town and then suddenly really, really lonely because she's no one in her life? Will that open the door for John Henry Irons? And then that's why I said them two kind of connected on a similar front because they were very, very sharp as far as their like other halves went when they talked about them because he was like, yeah, it's sad what's happening with Lois, but she's not my wife. And then I went on. I was like, hmm, that was a bit of a strange comment. But then you saw by the end of the episode that he was he was kind of covering up. He was protecting his heart because he is sad about what Lois is going through. And of course, it will bring back memories of his, of his, of his Lois and all that happened to her as well. So and I thought the whole like arc of Natalie wanting to give Lois the wash, but him not being happy with it. Such a great, a great uh, storyline. And it was developed in such a unique way because at the start you're like, wait, why are you being so mean? And then by the end of it, you got to. And I think it's kind of the same with Lana because like it did kind of take me out that she was like, oh no, we don't need Kyle installed on that security system. Even though the man was literally in her house a few scenes beforehand when they were telling, when Lois was telling them. And you do understand why she didn't want it. And, but at the same time, you're probably going to see Kyle's side of things of why he was hurt that he feels like he's cut out of the family now. Um, it is it's going to be interesting this this show explores things like from a very like authentic family standpoint and like even though you can understand why Kyle's not he doesn't live there anymore that's not his home anymore but at the same time should the security system have him if he needs to get in to see his daughter so you it, just like with the Lois and Clark things you do understand all sides of things and it does feel like they've really turned up the tension now going forward and considering this was such a contained episode I can't wait to see how it's kind of blown the lid off a lot of the storylines now is the divorce final um, I think the ink is dry because Lana's acting like the ink is dry yeah. and the government <laughs> knows they are not attached. <laughs> it's not. I feel like it's going to get ugly and Kyle's going to be like, here's some custody papers. Mm. I could see These that. children are still minors and she just hit one of them. So maybe we're going to go to divorce court in <laughs> season three. <laughs> see, I don't know if we... For us, that action is going to be delicious. <laughs> For them, though, it's going to be like, Kyle, if you bring that up, she's going to talk about your drinking habit and what it was like for the girls seeing you on the couch yeah. like that. Like, it'll so, get ugly. It'll get ugly <laughs> real fast. I think what's that's the thing about watching um, shows like this as an adult rather than watching them as a teen. Because like, I feel like we see more sides of the story now because we're adults. Because I feel like as a teenager, I probably wouldn't annoyed with Sarah but also being like you know what she's blank slate now because um Lana did what she did and I'm like "Mm, she's a little blank slate because of Lana did what she did but I need her to I need Sarah to recognize that you have a hand in the way that you talk to your Mm -hmm. mom and it's not cool um but also I think because it adds a layer to what's great about Superman Alone was is it really is written from the perspective of the adults although there's Mm -hmm. a lot of uh, different parts of the storyline like yeah it bleeds into how the ch- the kids feel but it's also got a perspective of how you don't actually know your parents when you're a kid so with Sarah she's like everything's black and white and I'm like you know there might be a reason why Lana's acting like this you don't you know your dad is your dad you don't know your dad is Kyle so mm-hmm, like yeah. I just it would be interesting if Lana's like there's things about our relationship that you have no idea about and I'm gonna need you to just trust me when I say don't do these certain things or don't tell mm. your dad these certain things because the way he rolled up on her at the office I was like this is giving fresh divorcee but also leave the mayor's office this is not your business <laughs> <laughs> 
It was. And I think that's the thing about Superman at last. I've had so many people in my mentions over the last two years or whatever. This is turning into CW teen drama. I'm like, no, 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 no. Superman at Lois is not a teen drama. It's a family drama. It's not Gossip Girl. It's Parenthood. It's Friday Night Lights. So you get to see all sides of things. And just like those shows handled all of their characters better than the likes of teen dramas would handle the parents, Superman at Lois is definitely playing with all of its characters just in such an authentic manner. Superhero stuff will get priority as it goes on, but I'm glad we're getting to sit with the family stuff for now because at the end of the day, two worlds almost merged at the end of last season. Let's see how these characters deal with it for a little while and then let them grow from there. But like, I just, the three of us were talking about it as the episode was airing. That's one of the strongest, most consistent episodes just on a complete front. It might not have been as like heartbreaking as the episode beforehand or as memorable as some of the season one episodes, but just from an overall standpoint, that episode was a 10 for me because there was... Mm-hmm. It, it nailed it on all fronts. I'm so excited about every single storyline. I'm so heartbroken over every single storyline. I just, I love the show so much. And I think that was, that episode was one of the best examples of everything coming together on the night. And we still got the big villain uh, development with, what's his name with Clark's blood, which didn't that happen in Smallville? Did someone steal Clark's blood? Pretty sure. I'm pretty sure it happened in Supergirl. Was they it, all love the Kryptonian blood. Was it uh, Lex Luthor's dad had the blood <laughs> i think so Didn't, at one point clark's mom worked for that guy what's the man's name lionel lionel yeah lionel that's right yes yes um yes they all love the kryptonian blood i'm pretty sure every superman story supergirl story somebody steals the kryptonian blood so they can make all their own monsters i think this might be what we're going to, to be doing this season um, <laughs> spoiler alert um <laughs> But yeah, like again, Bruno Mannheim's presence felt, even though he's not in the episode. Again, I love this. They're just slowly building towards this villain and whatever his end game goal is. We still are none the wiser, but you're starting to put the pieces together. I will say before we move on, it was nice to get to see what Intergang is all about because in the comics, they are like a weapons deal. They are weapons dealers and black market dealers. And when Lois and Chrissy got locked in that freezer, you saw all the like gadgets they had, like those big Kryptonian um, blasters that they used on Superman in the final scene. Um, also, a, a nice full circle moment. I remember when I when the nightmare scene started, I was like, Lois would not be calling Clark Clark when she needs his help, when oh, she yeah. needs Superman help. And then in the final scene, she literally said, Superman. I was like, that's my Lois. That's I loved a- it. I loved it so much. <laughs> it's so like, good. They were like, one last scream for the road, Bitsy, and then you have tea. <laughs> you can have the honey and lemon you want. Um, but I just, I mean, that scene was amazing. I loved how they, we had a tension full episode that was very, um, character development centric mm-hmm. but still gave you action so you have mm-hmm. that moment with Stephen. i'm scared for clark like we haven't really gotten down dirty with bruno yet and we already had to be saved by john henry because he mm-hmm. was because of the blasters but maybe the kids will come in handy because the kids were doing their thing and mm-hmm. um, in this episode and jonathan got to participate i love how natalie was like how long can you hold your breath and you got to be a part you <laughs> <laughs> got to be a part of the fight scene that was such a cleverly shot scene, just him running through and then stopping as someone's about to hit him. Natalie lifts them up, running through again. Jordan sweeps him to the side. That was such a clever scene. But I know that one of the points of Superman at Lois season three is that Jonathan's going to get more involved in the super end of it because we never get to see that. And if it's more like that, that's just so much fun. It does make you wonder how far they can go. But like Lois is at the heart of all the super storylines. We can put a human in there once in a while and it'll work out fine. So I can't wait to see more of Jonathan. And I just love the teens when they're working together. Mm-hmm. They might take Sarah out of it for a while now that she's got her own things going on. And that's okay. Which, that, that feels right. It feels yeah, right. That Sarah character could do with her own time. 
<laughs> yeah, she needs she needs to think about what she did. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Definitely, she I do think it'd be good for her to be with her dad, though. Like she and Mama yeah. should be in the mm. house together right now. That yeah. the hit was a lot, so we yeah. need to be away from mom. <laughs> it's like yeah, it's like season two OC when Marissa moved in with her dad, and her dad did not know what to do with her. <laughs> <laughs> and Julie was like, "Where is she?" And he's like, "I don't know. She's fine, I guess." <laughs> oh no, that's definitely gonna be Kyle. <laughs> Oh, completely. Yes. Um, moving from an excellent episode worthy of being one of the top three episodes of Superman and Lois uh, to a solid episode of The Flash that still feels incongruous. Uh, but I, I guess it was okay. I love the Iris in Dreamer team up. That was the highlight of the episode. Everything else didn't need to be there. But. Mm-hmm. I'm so conflicted over this episode. I say this about the interval episodes all the time. When they produce a good one, it's great. But at the same time, you're like, what was the point in that episode? Um, I will say I adored seeing Dreamer back. I love when the Flash, I love when the Fla- when the Supergirl ended um, and when Batwoman ended, how the Flash has basically become this like hub for the Arrowverse. And I'm like, hey, bring that character back, bring that character back. So it was nice to see such a Supergirl. Um, so Dreamer's become such an important character. She was created for Supergirl and now she's a DC Comics character. And it was just, it's wonderful to see her one more time before uh, the Arrowverse ends. And she worked so well with Iris. It was just so nice. They're such a good double act. Um, That was my, like, I, I, that was my favorite part of the episode. I'm not even going to like sugarcoat it. The whole arc there was wonderful. It was so nice to see them. And it was such a fun episode. I just can't get out of my head that this is the final season. And I feel like this storyline just kind of went over stuff we knew already and that we've done, we've been there and done that already. And at the end of it, you're kind of left thinking, okay, awesome. But what was the point? And I feel like that's what I'm coming away from this season saying a lot, if that makes sense. I'm sad yeah. for you guys. Thank yeah, you. I appreciate yeah. it. We need that. <laughs> <laughs> like I just counted on my fingers. I'm like, we have six episodes left, and they haven't really liked any of them. <laughs> no, because it's like, if I had known we were going into a short story collection for the for like the final season, I feel like I could have prepared better. Like usually, final seasons ramp up the drama. Like, as we're coming to the end of the road, we usually, like, if there was a big overarching big bad that hadn't died yet, we'd bring that person back, and that's who we'd be fighting. And The Flash has no central storyline for its final season. I don't it count like Iris' a, pregnancy. It sounds like a Greatest Hits tour. Mm. Mm-hmm. But the yeah. problem is it's using the same yeah, old story. It's like it's not even a greatest hit story. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to say that, but thank you. <laughs> uh, the problem is it's using the same old for boring format it's used for the last three seasons, which is five episode storyline, five episode interval, five episode storyline. And there's no time to build any kind of long form there because if your final storyline is the same length as your interval, what makes the final storyline more important than the interval? If, now what's uh, an know, interval? Um, four filler episodes in a row. Uh, <laughs> okay, I like that answer. It's one hundred percent factual and accurate. Um, uh, oh, um, this I, is so sad. I'm excited for the final one of the final interval episode because Oliver Queen is back and John Diggle is back and Kid Flash is back. Cannot wait for that one, but it's going to be a journey getting there. Um. This was the second interval episode and it was miles ahead of last week's one, two weeks ago's one. I can't even remember when I watched that. Um, miles ahead of that one. Last, that one, that 
the one we talked about, Sabrina, on the pod that was just the two of us, it's mm-hmm. widely regarded as perhaps the worst episode of The Flash ever. I no, wouldn't say not. that. It it's was it's just, all. it's a perfectly decent, Wait, fun episode. Repeat that? Who, who said what? And la- the last filler episode, sorry, the last interval episode, um, the last one that we talked about two weeks ago is supposed to be one of the worst episodes The Flash has ever produced. It's not. It's just mediocre. It's okay. fine. But it, it had not no purpose to serve. It was just Allegra, Chester, and Cecile Sandra. Um, How can I say that? When they, we had the bachelorette and bachelor party where Barry uh, went to the strip club and Iris was having awkward dinner with girls who aren't her friends. <laughs> Wasn't that the episode where Iris had a high pony? Uh, uh, did, she have a, did she have a high pony this season? Yeah, wait, Nabi. Wait. Oh, wait, yes, oh, wait. Yes, this episode. Yes. yes, with the braids. Yes. Lovely. Yes. She's a cop in this one. Yes. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I don't yeah. know. Iris Iris's hair is what I've taken note of this season it's, as a this, as a bystander. Yeah. <laughs> like, every time it's, I see a picture of her, I'm like, yes. Yeah. But yes. that's the that's the thing. It's been amazing the last two episodes. The problem is it's been the best thing about the last two episodes. But the dreamer episode was better than the last mm-hmm. one it's just unfortunate when you like when you're like yes five minutes of Ari- barry and iris and that's the best part of the episode yes iris looks amazing and that's the best part of the episode because the rest of the episode is not making up for it and okay that's a bit that's a bit harsh to say about this episode this episode was very very good this episode was brilliant and if this episode had taken place in any other season it would have been one of my favorite episodes the problem is it's still one of my favorite episodes of the final season and it accomplished pretty much nothing um <laughs> Uh, I just I I I want I don't want to just be like ranting on about that. <laughs> Sabrina's like, go on, tell me about it. Uh, you're right. Keep going. Okay, wait. Okay, I I caught like a glimpse of it before Riverdale came on, and from what I saw, there was like no superheroing. Was there any superheroing in this episode? Um, I mean, I saw like three seconds, so that's not a fair assessment. Was... I just I saw like a family dinner, and then I saw Danielle Panna Baker and a blonde man on a stoop having a chat. <laughs> Um, I don't know names. To the stoop because I'm mad about the stoop. Yeah. <laughs> you found yourself with the worst storyline in the episode, and the only <laughs> the only superheroing done in this episode was in the dream because obviously Dreamer's powers is that she uh, can channel the dream realm and she can basically walk through her own dreams and uh, walk through oh, other people's love dreams. That. that sounds like love so much fun. But the problem is, Supergirl never really explored it. Now it's come and gone, and it still feels like we're learning about what Dreamer can do. And I'm like, this woman has been a part of the show for like. Oh, three years on Supergirl, they barely explored her powers, and now we have to use an episode of The Flash to finally get answers about yeah, how powerful she is. Yeah, that. exactly. About how powerful she is. I'm not sure they ever expect a dreamer to be such a revolutionary character, and they're just trying to use what little time they have now to finally show us. Um, and don't get me wrong, I love it. This is probably the be- better than any Supergirl Dreamer episode. And also, I think The Flash is slightly bigger budget because Dreamer's powers look far better on this than they ever did on Supergirl. Um, <laughs> they uh, the whole them. budget, though. That's why we don't have any action sequences. They, need, <laughs> they needed all the budget for those powers. They were beautiful, though. Gorgeous blue light. It was. Um, but yeah, um, so basically, Dreamer was trapped in this dream with something that looked, was it a Jawa from Star Wars? I think that's what they converted to. Basically, I watched, yeah. I watched The Mandalorian, so I understood that reference this time. Um, but yeah, she was basically trapped in a dream with something that looked like that. And in her dream, Iris died. So she had to go to Central City Why to find Iris. Why is Iris always dying in the right, show? Right, right, right. Um, they promised that wouldn't happen at literally the first scene of season nine, Iris dies. Um, so, <sighs> yeah. <laughs> I don't even watch the show and I'm fed up. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but I feel like I'm going around in circles criticizing I just want to say it was a very very great episode and seeing Dreamer and Iris 
give them a comic series, give Dreamer her own limited series, because I really want to know what that character is actually capable of. Um, Nicole Mayans is just a phenomenal actress and you really get to see it every time she's playing Dreamer she's so passionate about the character and I love the fact that she gets to write the character for DC Comics outside of uh, the, the Arrowverse which is great I think Dreamer will go down as one of the all time great DC characters in decades from now and I, I love that her. she started on the on the or she started on Supergirl as TV's first ever transgender superhero incredible love that for her and I'm glad we got one more moment to appreciate that in the Flash of final season the problem is appreciating dreamer was easily the best part of this episode because one easily the best part of the season um just because the season is not heading what had this final season of the flash is going to um iris and dreamer are an incredible duo i want more of them i would take a whole season of that i just i hate that i watched this episode through a lens that was like but, but what's happening in the final season of the flash you know where i'm going with that sabrina i don't want to down the episode because this is easily one of the strongest episodes the Flash is produced in some time. It's just well, unfortunate where it was placed. Yeah. Let's go to the porch. I want to hear Sabrina's thoughts on what happened on the porch. <laughs> yeah, pivoting to the weaker uh, part of the episode. Okay, and then I'm going to circle back to Iris. So yeah, like, on the porch, the porch is the is the end of the episode. It's between Mark and Keon. To give some background, read Mark and Keon spent the entire episode on a date Keon wish she'd never even agreed to go on. Like, to her, she thought they were just going to be hanging out um, because she's supposed to be getting a break from learning about her powers and Mark was like, yeah, we could go do that. Um, because he had had a um, steamy dream about him and Keon in the lab. Um, but he only had that dream because he's trying to make her be more like his ex-girlfriend, Frost, who had passed away. Okay. And uh, because they have the same face. And it's the same that basically they're like triplets or whatever. I'm just going to explain it oh. that way because the science doesn't science in the flash anymore. Um, <laughs> But like, so he spent the entire day trying to get her to do things that Frost and he used to do. And then finally she was just, she took the microphone when they were supposed to be doing karaoke. And she was like, so Frost is dead, everybody. This this karaoke thing is not happening. And the whole, the bar got to see them argue about him trying to make her be like his ex. And then she, instead of just going to the park like she wanted to go, she wanted to be around nature. And he was like, Let's do exciting thing. What you want to do is boring. And I was like, oh my God, please just end it. So like by the time we get to the porch, it's him apologizing to her outside of Jill West's house on the porch in which West Allen has some amazing moments. And I'm like, you you put them on the West Allen porch? I mean, it's daytime. They didn't give them the nighttime shot with the lens flare. So I didn't, it's not like I wanted to fight anybody, but I did want to delete the scene. Like I wanted to go back in time <laughs> and speak to the editor because it just was not necessary because I don't really care. Mark's grief arc ends with him wanting to leave. How many times are we writing this man out of the show? It's been, he's, it's only been seven episodes. And he needs to go. I mean, I, I mean, I think I, to be honest, I tuned out. Did he decide to actually leave? I was still in yeah. a rage. He yeah, he left and Keon's very sad about it and that that she awoke her that awoke her ice powers and she turned their dinner to to into ice. Oh like, yes, she ruined breakfast. She did, yeah, she, she did. Everything on the table turned to ice, and apparently that's so she, she doesn't need to like wish her powers out. Whatever she feels manifests in front of her. So uh, we still don't know anything about her powers, but she's sad and she can turn things to ice. So is she living there now? Because that means that like Cecile. Anna Allegra and now Keon are up in the West House and still not a single West lives <laughs> in this house. I am like, why are the OCs living in the West House? <laughs> <laughs> like I'm losing my mind. I feel like TV always does that. And it's like, can we like just 
pretend to build a new set. Yeah. I, I would like to because it just feels disrespectful to me. Um, personally, I feel attacked and like they don't care about these <laughs> main characters. And we should we should be having like a focus on Iris and Barry, which by the way, poor Barry got to do not a thing this episode. Um I appreciated the that they gave us an update on the Justice League. Mm, but Read all Barry got to do was panic over Iris, which I mean, like, yes, exactly do that. But like he walked, he walked out of the room, what is it, 20 minutes into the episode and didn't come back until, until 40 minutes later. Yeah, that <laughs> yes. was really weird, especially since Cecile said she was going to follow him. And now Cecile and Barry have some lovely moments. So I was like, oh, we're going to get to see one of those pep talks. And then the two of them came back in without having shown us the pep talk. I was like, wow, we're really sidelining Barry this week. Didn't expect that at all. Um. Yeah, I did. I was thinking of you read him um, during the episode because Cecile wasn't in it until halfway through, and then she literally just walked into the room. It was like I'm getting vibes, and, uh, that... <laughs> because oh uh, she, she could feel that um, the Star Wars Jawa, the the Dreamer, whatever that thing was that was making Dreamer have all the nightmares, she could feel its presence. She's like, it's a guardian angel. It's not a threat. It's okay. Um, and it turned out it was a guardian angel because it was the original Dreamer finally showing Dreamer how to use her powers. But why couldn't we have done this on Supergirl? Um, but yeah, anyway, long story short, Iris was having a problem because she was about to publish her Pulitzer winning article and she knew this was going to be the article that did it. It was the article all about the Red Death. So at least we have a little bit of tied up back to that storyline. So she knew she was going to publish it. But she kind of had like um, imposter syndrome where she didn't want to publish the article because she knew she was going to win a Pulitzer for it in advance. She's blocking like, her blessing and I don't yeah, understand Yeah, that. exactly. Um. So yeah, it's the kind of we kind of went through that in the first episode of the season. We all watched that, yes. And where she didn't want her life to be dictated to by Barry's futuristic book. So they decided doing different things. So she was afraid to do one of the actual things that would dictate her future because then she knew she was gonna win it in advance and she didn't feel like she felt like an imposter. But basically Dreamer saw that or made her see that every single decision she ever made in her life got her here. She's not doing this because the book said so. Every decision she made as a reporter got her to this point. So the dream was all about making Iris see that she still has control over her future. And I th again, I think that's a wonderful arc, but I'm like, did we not do this in the first episode of the season? I just feel like this episode was full of, it was a great episode that was full of, okay, but we've done that already. You know what I mean? We retread, we, we retread, and I, it bothered me because it, you can definitely see that the writer's room did watch season one again, but we are in season nine, and I'm like, we should be past, the future's been written for me, I'm upset about it, I'm going to do everything against doing the thing that would lead me down the path the future says I'm going to be on. Is it because we did this in season one when she wasn't ready to confront her feelings for Barry? We did this in season two when she was healing from... This is that man's name. He's her fiance. Why is it leaving me? Eddie. The dead one? Thank you. Yeah, yes, yeah. Eddie. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, like when she was healing from the loss of Eddie and then like being like, wow, Barry and I are together in uh, on another earth. Maybe it does mean that we're supposed to be together. Like we we got through this. Why are we back here? I also don't understand yeah, I why. Want, I, she needs, they need to maximize Iris's sleigh. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. they don't, they're, it's not from what I'm hearing. 
it's not giving what it needs to <laughs> give <laughs> and that's why it's so, so frustrating because we saw that in the in the some of the dreams she went and walked into we saw that uh iris was uh the police captain in ccp day and then in another dream she was um the head barista at um that's jitters which is so where cute. she worked and um, so i love that we get she to should see be a iris pop star well. talk show host <laughs> yeah all of the above <laughs> <laughs> I do wish we, we we spent a little bit more time in um, Iris's potential careers because I thought those whole moments were cute and special. But I also just almost one of the things in this might end up being my villain origin story besides obvious Iris issues is that she is she's the lowest lane of the Flash universe, and we are constantly fighting her being a reporter. <laughs> I just do not. We've been doing it the whole series, and I don't understand why just let her be an ace reporter mm-hmm. the, yeah this show ages badly when it's on screen alongside superman Lois because uh that sh- superman at lois is exactly the same kind of show as the flash and that you've got a corny superhero a co- for corny fun loving light-hearted superhero at the lead with also his partner in crime who's literally a reporter and the flash cannot juggle that in the same way the superman at lois does and i know that the flash doesn't have iris in the title because it was very much started off as just being about the flash as it should have been but she came into the picture and she became every bit as pivotal to the storyline as he did and yet for, for, for across nine seasons she's been the leader of team flash she's been part of team flash she's been uh struggling with time sickness she's been building this conglomerate business off screen instead of just reporting on the news and here we are why do they make her a damsel in distress every time i don't know i don't know i mean she really uh, she always has a gun ready though like she Mm -hmm. truly does like i they think they need to lean into that a bit more like we've said at the time like she stays ready so she doesn't have to get ready like that's who, who she is as a person so i'm always like just let her be that let us see that on an investigative trail they never really give her any stories but i feel like this the flash reviews literally just us being like you we want you to do better you can't do better because you're ending and so we're bitter about it so, are we gonna give them the riverdale season six treatment where we just like <laughs> let them ride the bench <laughs> <laughs> i feel like no because uh, michael and i need to have the catharsis of being yeah. able to, yeah. to read, hop read, on the pod. read is our therapist and we need to get it i'm like trying i'm like what do you guys need do you need a time away from it <laughs> You need to oh. consciously uncouple. <laughs> <laughs> it's too late for that. It's too late. There's six episodes left. <laughs> but speaking of Riverdale, we should go to the town with Pep, um, which did have a great season opener. Um, and I guess the final season opener that uh, the series will ever have. Um, but truly, like, mm-hmm, well, not a masterclass in balancing, but a great, wonderful class on balancing a storyline where you have the fun and aesthetic of the 50s and the very harrowing reality of Emmett Till's murder and the kids also dealing with uh, a star that they love who had passed away, James Dean. It's a really ambitious season. Mm. And I know we praised it up and down last week whenever we did our uh, spoiler-free review. But it's just, it gets better with each rewatch. And just this the story is so good. There are points when it gets a little complicated when we get into the the mythology, mm-hmm. <laughs> like toward the end when, uh, I don't want to get ahead of ourselves, but when Tabitha explains like what's going on and how they can get back to the future, I was like, oh no, yeah, I made it complicated. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I'm willing to just, you know, let that ride um, because like 
like you said, this was our last season opener of Riverdale. It's kind of got nostalgia. So I'm like, I'm like, a, we, we kicked and screamed through season six. So I think season seven, we've seen that it has a focus. It has a viewpoint. And I feel confident that no matter what happens, it'll be a fun and impactful set of episodes because they they do have a purpose beyond just like the main story it seems like they really want to say something with the season mm. and it really came out of the get strong because it had a lot to juggle specifically the layover from the previous season is how, how did we end up here and i think the fact that like jughead was the one that remembered it was important to have that and just to kind of like lead us into the story and see see how it, how we got here because Jughead's always been the narrator of the show, even if Archie's the main character. So it made sense that it was him that, of course, it was him that remembered. But I feel like you got to see a lot of, you got to see his perspective of it. And like I said, was it about a previous show? You watched it through their eyes that you understood what was going on, even if you didn't really understand what was going on. And it balanced it. it likes to, yeah, like Sabrina said, it balanced all of the storylines really well in the premiere. Um, until like the last three minutes but like it really did a good job and um, you really understood uh, what people were feeling what characters were feeling and Riverdale can get so fantastical at times and yeah this this uh, episode certainly had elements of that but it also balanced some real powerful hard-hitting storylines realistic storylines real storylines with that very well and I, I'm glad that certain characters like Tony and Cheryl and Kevin are going to get the spotlight as it continues to do that throughout the season we don't know how long we're stuck in the past far but if it's anything like this first episode i think riverdale is off to an incredible start i feel like um this reset is gonna like i think this was said in our spoiler free review in fact Reed, i think you said it reinvigorate uh mm -hmm. riverdale uh, it allows us to meet these kids in a different time period mm. with somewhat of the same personality, but because they're in a different time period, the issues that they're navigating are a little different. Uh, and I appreciate that we don't have the baggage from previous seasons. It's a fresh slate for all of them. Even Jughead, because, well, this is a spoiler review, man loses his memories at the end, thanks to Tabitha. Um so we do get to start again. And I think that is something that Riverdale needed to do. Uh, I, it'd be interesting to see later on down the season whether or not the things that happened in the, in the 50s will be remembered or if they'll be forgotten and we'll just go back to where they are in their present. Maybe with or without powers. I don't know. They're going to have to catch us back up on what they're going to do with the superpowers there. But I enjoyed that, like, they get to be kids again and we're being snarky and funny and like the the drama isn't that high of stakes for the most part like Cheryl's big arc of the premiere is trying to take Veronica down because she feels uh, yeah. threatened by her um and for I do love that we got that little uh bit of vulnerability from Veronica in her in penthouse wherever hotel she's she's living in um where she's not like all lights and glamour and whatever she's here for a reason it's because she got passed out by her parents because she was acting out because they are absentee basically um and hopefully after that moment she'll actually get to have some friends and be hanging with the girls not just the guys and have uh some storylines we haven't gotten to see with veronica she's always like my dad is like, or I'm sorry that I killed my father or like everything, <laughs> everything is terrible. It's like, let homegirl have a nice time, please. 
-hmm. it's nice to see it go back to basics to before things happen to them and it's a it's a nice ring the bell moment like they get to go back to the beginning and especially for me with Archie to see him unencumbered by you know being a veteran fighting a bear losing his father well he did lose his father in the 50s as well but like all these things that have happened to them he's just got a big crush on this girl he wants to stop riding his bike he says shazam <laughs> like <laughs> it's just adorable and i think um some people might not enjoy going back to high school and i think part of the conceit of this is that it's not supposed to be serious like yeah they don't look like high schoolers that's the point of this mm -hmm. storyline um but i it's i think it's so I, I we keep saying fun but it's like just so much fun to see like the biggest concern on archie's mind is impressing veronica with his car and like mm -hmm. i don't know just seeing being able to see him just like grin and just be the archie that you kind of think of when you think of archie comics like when he sees veronica he's just like got hard eyes like he's like a cartoon like he's just it's just so sweet and all of these i think every single one of these actors is at on top of their game it's mm -hmm. like they all agreed like let's do this for them let's just like have a blast and do this because there's something you can pick up on on each one of the actors and i think too one thing that they don't ever give riverdale credit for fans is how gorgeous it looks mm -hmm. when the storytelling can lack sometimes but like even the storytelling, like when Riverdale really is at the top of its game, like it has some great storytelling. I would include the season seven as some of the best storytelling and innovative storytelling on television. Like who's doing this? Nobody. Um, what was I saying before I went on that side tangent? <laughs> <laughs> but nice. the instance of Archie. Yeah, that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't know. That, that train left the station. I don't know where I'm going with that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's lovely though because when you think about where Archie is in this universe he doesn't have the trauma of being mm -hmm. in a predatory relationship with his teacher like, and then his, yeah. the passing of his father um, is something he can wrap his mind around because he lost him in war like they, there are these things the things that make up who Archie is as an adult in the present time are often created by trauma and it's not to say that this Archie you know doesn't miss his father or doesn't carry the weight of not having his father with him but he's still very much a kid. The Archie that mm -hmm. we knew and that we were introduced to in season one and, and how, who he grows into through um, the rest of the seasons, that he didn't get to be a kid long. He's 15 years old when Miss um, Grundy prays on him. And that mm -hmm. affected his entire being. And they only touch on it sometimes, but it very much shaped who Archie became. Yeah. And I think, I don't want to say like he he missed out an awful lot, but I feel like if you will go back to season one, he did. There was still that earnest quality that we all love about Archie, but he kind of like mentally matured in a way that maybe he shouldn't have had to quickly. He he struggled with a lot. He dealt with a lot. He grew up really fast. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And that and he's always sometimes had made a lot of questionable decisions and that could have played into that. Whereas now it's so refreshing to see him be like, Oh, shucks, golly gee, I got to impress this girl with my car. All this kind of side, you never got to see of him. Even despite Riverdale's fifties, like aesthetic in season one, it was still very modern. Whereas this is just completely different. He gets to be a kid. Veronica may have all these like worldly wise views of the world because she was out there being a movie or a TV star in LA with famous parents. But like, like 
he's just a small town boy and that's what Archie's always been. But you never, I don't think you really got to see that like divide until now as much. It's played out really, really well just in the high school environment. And like, it's so nice to see Veronica and Archie. I, I, I always predicted because Archie is the main character and Veronica was the first person he called attention to in the first season. I always figured they, they were going to be the one to get well fed early on in season seven. And this is what we're getting so far. And it makes sense because I love the little callback to Veronica's big powerful entrance in season one. We got uh, in season seven as well. Only, of course, instead of wearing the hooded robe, she's wearing a nice um, a TV star like dress. If they and- were, they did have their diner date. Yeah, exactly exactly and it was a nice little nod to season one and like their dynamics completely different they're not weighed down by all the stupid stuff they ended up getting up to in the later seasons of Riverdale it's just so refreshing just to see that clean slate and I know when you start with a couple that use that's not how it usually ends up unless you're telling the end game couple from the start through end but with Riverdale you can go any which way and I know we'll probably see Veronica we know in the trailer we Veronica gets her, her uh, eyes turned by Jughead perhaps that that's long overdue i'm looking forward to seeing that we know that maybe betty and archie will find their way back to each other and we know that archie will maybe find himself uh, involved in a storyline with cheryl as well so i just feel like i don't care what what couple dynamics we have right out of the gate and i don't care where they're going i'm enjoying what we've got at the moment and even as a as a fan of veronica and archie and the way it, not so much the way it turned out but the way it was told i'm glad they've got a clean slate now to start again i can't wait to see where it goes and i hope a lot of the fans feel the same way Oh, you know what I was going to say? You just reminded me somehow. Um, it looks gorgeous. That's what I was saying. Yeah. Like the cinematography, like they never cut corners. Mm-mm. Like the story could be doing something wild that we're not a fan of, but like it always looks gorgeous, especially this episode. Whether you like it or not, you have to give it up for like the cinematography because even that the the ones shot that like took me aback was when Archie's running out the house and Mary calls him from the kitchen and he's about to turn he's about to go out the front door but he turns around the way the camera like followed KJ I was like holy crap that was that that took choreography to get that shot like that took like rehearsal maybe it didn't but it looked so complex to me like that was a crazy take and then even in the scenes where there's the way they light um, especially Lily, the way they light Betty in certain scenes to make her eyes pop even more and make them even more expressive. A lot of that has to do with Lily's performance because she's always delivered in the show. Like mm-hmm. every season, Lily is on her game. But the way they lit her, I think it was in the scene with her and Vanessa with the principal when they were like, why can't we publish this article? And the, the way the camera lingers on Betty and she's like half lit and it's you see the emotion in her eyes from the way that they compose that scene. I say what you want about Riverdale, but it is gorgeous. <laughs> it should be studied. I felt in like in film studies classes, uh, I just feel like there's such an attention to the story that they're telling and the shots that they choose and the way that they light things. Um, I think my favorite shot actually, and it um is when Jughead is digging up the cooler, and we find out that it's it's Angel Tabitha, but the way that she's standing there and he's framed in the corner, and I was like, we love different perspective on this show. Like yeah. we love having a moment, or even making something anachronistic, like the kiss between. Tabitha and Jughead where the music is even not aligned with anything that came out in the 50s or previously Mm -hmm. it sounds very 80s we we get that neon light back 
that's very, very 80s. And the way that they were so close up on them and we slow down. And I was like, they love filmography. <laughs> like they do true <laughs> filmography, cinematography, they study. Like you can uh, say what you want about Riverdale. It is very clear that the people who craft this show are students of film. And care about and, it. And yeah, they care right. about it. Students of film and television and history. And my goodness, the production design and the costuming. Like they really, that's where their budget goes to, yeah. clearly. Because it was. Gorgeous. I don't want to hear any ill words about Veronica's bangs. No, <laughs> definitely not. <laughs> doing what they need to do. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and like, like, let's be honest, the show's been on the show for, on the air for seven seasons, and it's a CW show, which people tend to drag. But so its budget has probably been slashed, and you would not know that to look at it. This show looks expensive, and like one of my one of the things I hated the most about season six was how uninteresting it looked. That everyone was dull, grimly lit, and Betty was in that boring old FBI office they were for the always whole thing. in that the, the gym. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> bloody pops got moved into the gym and like it's little neon designs didn't even brighten it up everything was boring to look at whereas this is completely fresh it's exhilarating somehow they're doing this on a 20 episode budget and like so it's like season one all over again but more expensive they're spending money on the season and it shows how much they care about it everything about it came together for me. This is one of those things I mentioned with Superman and Lois. Everything felt like it came together on the night. I know maybe some of the time travel mumbo jumbo kind of went in the crack started to show, but I like that we've reached a point where now Tabitha's kind of dealt with that. I think that'll go out of the way now. We just get to spend some time in the 50s and deal with the ideals and the storylines and the, uh, the norms of the society then. And I think they're definitely important stakes to the characters, but the show has finally decided to strip back, oh my God, the world's going to end, that you've got superpowers kind of stakes, so that the stakes are more important to the characters and the storylines than like these end of world stakes. Because I think the the reason the later seasons of Riverdale struggled is we didn't really get to see how the characters felt about them. The story was dictated to them by the end of world scenarios. In this situation, we're going to get to see how every single character feels about storylines. It's a more contained story. And I think that's what we need because we finally get to learn more about the characters. And let's be honest, we probably haven't learned anything new about since seasons four or something like that. And I think that's going to be one of my favorite parts of the season. And what I do love about the setup of this story so far, to get into some spoilers, um, is that now, I mean, Jughead, he was the one person who knew, and he's trying to, like, explain to them, like, oh, we're not from here. Like, you're violent, you're a witch. <laughs> <laughs> like, um, and then he digs up something that connects them to their actual timeline with that time mm -hmm. capsule cooler um but by the end of the episode slate's clean he doesn't know we only have hope in tabitha who's going to be hopping across the multiverse <laughs> so i don't think we're going to see our timeline tabitha um but i'm wondering if because at the end of the episode jughead gets his beanie back from present timeline so i'm like are there going to be other easter eggs where like they they find things or like they happen upon like cracks in the time space continuum where they kind of these characters kind of start to strip away or question like this doesn't feel right like i wonder if there's going to be like cracks in the in their in their perception of where they are because even though jughead like was trying to tell them they didn't take it seriously like they're like mm -hmm. that's cute you're you know oh jughead <laughs> but, it's but are, are there going to be yeah, there are. Mm -hmm. Are there going to be any other like Easter eggs that they find? Um, 
and I don't know if I said this at the top of this thought, and I apologize if I'm repeating myself, but I love that. Did I say that? I feel like I said this already. I'm I'm sorry, brain fog today. But I love that we're like in on it. Like we know stuff that they don't know. And we're like, ooh, we have mm -hmm. to. And even beyond that, like we know their history too. So like we know, we get to see how like Cheryl right now is very, it, queerness is in her even in the 50s. And she's trying to not see that side of herself. So seeing these characters get to how who we know them as i think is going to be another really exciting mm -hmm. and uh a good payoff in this final run yeah because i think even with Jug them not really believing jughead it's there though like he already told he them planted the doubt yeah well especially the ones that are more positive right like betty already has sort of a investigative spirit and she defied authority in this episode yeah. in order to do to help Tony do what needed to be done, which was have the kids in Riverdale High talk about Emma Till's murder. They couldn't do it in the blue and gold, so they they circumvented the the principal because it was a necessary talk, and they needed to have a discussion about the state of America and what was happening in Mississippi. Like so, but she knows now that she in another world she's an FBI agent. So why wouldn't that spark her desire mm -hmm. to continue to to investigate? Why wouldn't when Tony learns like she's basically a boss? Like why wouldn't she want to like you know what? Yeah, let me run the Southside Serpents. Am I not running them already? Let me do that now. Like that was like, so cute when she looked at the jacket. And she's like, I like the jacket, but I've never seen it before in my life. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like so I just it, it, it's a, a jumping off point for inspiration and potentially the thing that is going to for those who got negative comments to pull back from who they were. So like, mm -hmm. Archie, work on your aggressive finger. Like, find the tools, figure out what's going on there. I, it's just, it, I do hope there's Easter eggs. I do hope every time I get closer to a piece of who they are in the present, something just plops down to the side just randomly and we know what it is, but they mm -hmm. don't know what it is, but it becomes a part of how they interact with the 50s world. Mm. I think we're definitely in for a character journey for everyone. And I think that's a good thing because like Kevin was one of my favorite characters in season one and he's done nothing of remote interest other than being a plot device for whatever villains on the on screen and um, every single season since he's never been given the justice he deserved. I think, for example, this is his time because of the time periods and the belief and the fact that he doesn't know who he is yet and he hasn't figured all of that out and you're not allowed to figure all your all yourself out in that era. I think we're in for some really rich storylines. And that's I like I said, Riverdale does character stories very, very well but it hasn't really been interested in telling them in the last three or four years so I hope we'll get that I think we're going to get it with Cheryl I think we're going to get it with Kevin I think we're going to get it with Tony and of course Betty and Archie and now maybe Jughead as he tries to figure out what bend towards justice means and if he if we'll see a 50s Jughead because we never really met 50s Jughead because he knows everything we'll see a 50s Jughead is very much like current Jughead and then of course Veronica and the stuff with her parents going on so much rich story potential I, I, I'm so excited for the season before we hop in the car and zoom over to Horseshoe Bay, I had to I have to bring up something else that I was thinking about in the episode because I'm constantly thinking about like how are they gonna end this show? And I know I talked to you guys about one of my theories for how it was gonna end, but I feel like it was debunked last season. Um remember I said that I thought Jughead's narration is that he's like writing his novel about oh. their adventures like and mm -hmm. he thinks he's writing the great american novel i feel like that was debunked in season six but then it came back into my head again because he's still like narrating he's still somewhere in the world he's putting this thought on paper i'm assuming or something um 
I'm like, what if the narration in these stories are his book, but like after the events of season one, someone like Ethel stole his typewriter and she's just been making up these stories. And at the <laughs> series finale, we're going to, they're just going to be like, at a booth and pops and it's like 2018 and we find out that ethel was writing these stories the whole time <laughs> <laughs> that'd be funny i kind of like i don't know how i would feel about it i feel like everyone would hate that ending but it just they popped would. in my head yeah i was like that would be so funny if we find out that it's actually not jughead writing like someone just stole his typewriter and <laughs> writing See, the stuff <laughs> you saying that though also lays the groundwork for people just to accept that the ending of a riddle probably isn't going to be what they want Mm-hmm. yeah it's we're we there's no way to predict what's going to happen at the end at all Mm-mm. i just it's going to be funny though i just feel like it's gonna see watching roberto's storytelling style it's gonna have an ending that is sure to set the like be genius for in universe entirely upset a lot of the Riddell fandom mm-hmm. um and i think that's okay i think as long as it works for the universe regardless of how it makes you feel at the end of the day that's what you want right for the show mm-hmm. to end the way it works in the universe not how you prefer mm-hmm. your ship to end i'm yeah. just gonna put I'm it on right roberto's there. side i i've never doubted roberto i only <laughs> thought good things about roberto <laughs> <laughs> no but i really am on i i don't know i have faith in him now yeah. um mm-hmm. i feel like i don't know if you guys have seen this wendy williams clip where she's like hello rita aura we're talking about you <laughs> <laughs> whenever we bring up roberto i feel like hello roberto we're talking about you <laughs> oh man we have faith in that man there we go yeah so uh, hey guys uh we're popping back in on another day because on record day we had some technical difficulties to the tune of our video got eaten and so did our audio <laughs> so wanted to give some updates on how this is going to go in terms of a pod episode drop yeah um amanda bobsey came for us she did not like us criticizing her and she uh shoehorned our recording plans but i mean like we got this. We just wanted to give everyone an update on. I mean, I say that tentatively. I don't know if we've got this. No, I'm joking. Um, <laughs> but, um, uh, we just wanted to give everyone an update on what was happening and uh, a bit more clarity on the situation because we didn't know until today. So this means that, of course, you have noticed that Monday's episode did not appear, but it is going to drop. Uh, you will get, I know in a tweet that I had said it was just audio, but Michael's a magician. And we do have video as well. So you will be able to see us as well as hear us like you're used to. Uh, There is going to be a severe cut where this video is right now, uh, (laughs) where we just kind of drop off. That is where the Nancy Drew reviews uh, lived and they no longer are there. Uh, When it comes to what we're doing with the Nancy Drew, we aren't necessarily skipping five and six. What you're going to get is a little bit of a highlight of our thoughts because we went in depth and we went in hard about Amanda. (laughs) <laughs> and like Michael oh, we said, sure did. we sure yes, did. The, the soapbox was out. <laughs> so, but that just you'll get some of that in um the coming pod episode. Uh, that what we're talking about. What is that? Seven and eight. Yeah. Um, but you're not getting everything. Just so our Nancy listeners are aware. Sorry, it was out of our hands, out of our control. We tried desperately we tried yeah like michael said amanda just did not want us to push that agenda (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> but we'll try again. <laughs> yes. Uh, but just in case anybody was worried that, you know, we were dropping off Nancy completely, we're not. You guys know we're here. We're here for Nancy's journey. We're here for Nace Watch. Like, we're going to be, like, riding on this Nancy train until she pulls up to the station and tells us to get out, which mm -hmm. is happening soon, we know. But we're excited to be getting closer to being on time to watch season four with you guys. Yeah, we're here till August, guys. So yeah. She's not going anywhere. <laughs> yes. We're in the trenches with this show. We wouldn't drop off when we're so close to the end of season three. <laughs> so true oh my goodness oh you know what i didn't plan to say this but i might as well just say it in this section we are taking a break though we're gonna mm -hmm. you're gonna miss up up there what's that april 17th there will be no new pod episode uh so you know just check out our content on youtube if you're behind on our nancy journey there's a whole playlist um actually three of them because we did it by season uh so we're if dead. you're <laughs> so if you are two are in the middle of your nancy journey but you don't want to be spoiled say you're in season two we have a season two playlist if you want to get our thoughts on when that ha what happened in the season or if you're making your way through season three we have that playlist as well mm -hmm. it's just a one week hiatus we're taking um we just decided to be like the cw and take one week off for no reason um <laughs> but uh um it, it's not, te not technologically related we have control over this and we will be back mm -hmm. i mean knock on wood Oh, oh yes, knock knock. And no more, <laughs> no more tech issues. No more tech issues. Only positive vibes. Yes, manifesting all positivity when it comes to technology. <laughs> uh, but that's all we wanted to tell you guys. So we're gonna bounce out. We'll see you in the next pod episode. Way to CW Spiral. I'm Sabrina. I'm Michael. And I'm Reed. Bye y'all. <laughs>